what do we need to do to either support industry to be able to, to make that happen or to, in some cases, get out of the way of industry mm -hmm. to allow this stuff to, to happen and to happen expeditiously. Welcome to the Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 084, number 84 of the Flux Capacitor. This episode was recorded in mid-October 2023 on Zoom. My guest today is... I'm Philippe Dunsky. I'm the President and Chief Accelerator at Dunsky Energy and Climate Advisors. And uh, my evening and weekend job these days is also chairing the Canada Electricity Advisory Council. Philippe joined me for a conversation about the work of his firm in energy efficiency, transportation, industry, and energy. We talk about the Electricity Advisory Council, which he chairs, the clean electricity regulations, and the prospects for the Atlantic Loop. We close the discussion with his book recommendation. Here is my conversation with Philippe Dunsky. Philippe, it's awesome to get you onto the podcast. We've chatted about this a, a number of times over the past six months, so it's uh, it's great to finally connect. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. And, yeah, and, and maybe let's start off uh, for the for the listener uh, a little bit about uh, the company um, uh, and, and kind of, you know, what the genesis was of the company. And then I know you got multiple focus areas. Be, be interested to drill down on some of those. But, like, where did this all come from? I mean, I know where the name came from. Uh, but what was sort of the genesis of the firm? <laughs> the genesis of the name was was me needing at the very last second to choose a name because a report was going out the next day, and and, uh, <laughs> and I, I just wasn't creative enough at that particular moment in time. My uh, my partner at the time thought that that my name was unique enough that it'd be remembered. So, <laughs> she but uh, but look, the, the the genesis of um, of my firm. So I'll say a few words about it. Uh, Look, I, I've been I've been doing the same work. I always say I'm, I'm a one-trick pony, right? I, I know energy, uh, and I pretty much know nothing else. I've been doing this for about uh, it's been about 32, 32 33 mm -hmm. years now, yeah. uh, working on this very, very painfully long energy transition. Uh, the reason, the thing that got me into this was a, on the one hand, a very deep concern for climate, mm -hmm. uh, and on the other hand, um, a very deep I'll say sensibility for economics and for um, and for for doing things that are actually feasible and and actually achievable. Um, I I always say I'm I discovered very early in life that I I make for a very very poor activist because because I like the gray I don't like the black and white I like the gray mm -hmm. I like the complex um i'm you know pretty analytical guy and so and so that's how i got into this in the first place i used to run a think tank focused on uh energy mm -hmm. and um ran that for eight years and then when i left i you know hung up my uh um i don't know my my what do you say the your shingles. shingles yeah yeah shingles there we go yeah yeah um, and uh 
found, founded the firm. So that was 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago, uh, in a few months now. Um, and uh, it's been fun ever since. Yeah. So so you got, um, let's see, your pillars, uh, the four focus areas, buildings, mobility, uh, industry, and energy. Um, maybe drill down a little bit on those. So, so what are the sorts of things that uh, you're doing in the, in the building space? Why don't we begin there? Sure. I mean, we, so when we, when we started, when I started the firm, um, I have to say one of the things that I was, one of the reasons I left where, what I was doing earlier was I felt I was, I was skating on thin ice. I, I was mm-hmm. you know playing a little bit expert in everything and same time, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I wanted to you know, be able to really focus in on one thing, do it really well, and then build out. And so at the time mm-hmm. I, I chose energy efficiency as a thing to start with, partly because it was probably the least sexy thing uh, in the energy space and compared to how important it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I tend to gravitate toward <laughs> toward those less sexy and harder nuts to crack. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we actually started out focused on energy efficiency. We, we work with uh, utilities and governments across Canada and across the US. Um, helping them figure out how to get their clients to become much more energy efficient, how to um, how to design programs, how to implement uh, strategies that can, you know, get uh, building owners to invest in in their assets in ways that will either reduce energy consumption or reduce peak demand, um, uh, convince, you know, homeowners uh, to do the same, convince, uh, you know, whole supply chains to, to be thinking about how they can get the most efficient equipment out there in the market and adopted by actual consumers. So that sort of thing, um, that's a lot of what we do. And then, and then we do a lot of analytics around that as well. So we have some, some pretty sophisticated models that will help our clients understand what is actually possible in, you know, across a utility service territory or, or across a province or across a state in terms of improving energy efficiency of of the existing uh, existing building stock and existing uh, uh, stock of equipment uh, yeah. across that territory, so th- that's you know that's a lot of what we do is figure out what's possible, how much mm-hmm. it'll cost, uh, and then how to squeeze as much as much savings and as much value as you can for whatever dollars uh, our clients are are willing and able to uh, to put into it. Yeah, so your, your clients um, are, are they? Uh, I know you're 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 based in Montreal, but clients are across Canada or across North America, or what's the what's kind of the geographic uh, reach of of your client base? Yeah, our clients are across North America, uh, so okay. you know, we're we're really lucky. I mean, I'm you know proud Canadian and uh, and you know very proud to uh, that uh, a bit more than half of our of our client base is in Canada. We work for utilities in every single province, no exception, governments of every province, no exception. And then in the US, we work for the utilities and governments of you know, probably about, I used to say half, probably about two thirds of, of the states at this point. So, you know, people like uh, folks like National Grid and, and Eversource and Duke, um, you know, those are all clients of ours, PG&E uh, out in California and, you know, pretty much across, across the spectrum. Uh, mm-hmm. And then again, you know, here in Quebec, uh, here in Quebec, of course, you know, we work a lot with Hydro Quebec, but across Canada, with uh, you know, with the vast majority of, I'd like to say the vast majority of utilities, but of course, Ontario puts a, a wrench in that because there are just so many <laughs> in right. Ontario. 
yeah. with that with that exception, uh, the vast majority of utilities across the country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just it just occurs to me, just a bit of a tangent, uh, because you, you you work across North America. Do you see differences in terms of uh, attitudes towards energy efficiency? Seeing as uh, that that's been you know a focus for the company, you know a lot of talk about um, you know different views in red states versus blue states for for a variety of issues. But are there are there re- regional differences in terms of how the customer approaches energy efficiency, or are we all kind of in the same uh, in the same mindset? I think um, there there are there are nuances that are important. You know, yeah. if you're you know, I've we, we've developed strategies, for example, for North Dakota. When you do it for North Dakota, uh, you know the the uh, the arguments or the case, if you want to make the case to, to consumers, using some different language uh, and different touch points than you are, let's say in California, or right, Massachusetts, yeah. or in you know BC. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but those tend to be kind of small nuances. That's really when you get down to how you actually communicate to customers. Uh, I'll say at the at the utility level or at the policy level, uh, mm-hmm. there are definitely larger differences, especially in the U.S. between, as you said, the red states and blue states. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. you know we do we do work. The purple states are I find are the, are the most interesting ones because you know that's where there's a bit less ideology and uh, a little bit more prag- pragmatism. Uh, but um, but look, you know we we, we work with all of them, and uh, I'll say one of the big differences. I find, I found over time, um, the U.S., maybe I'll say the blue states in the U.S., they tend to go a lot harder at energy efficiency than Canada does, hmm. uh, interestingly enough. And that's not that's not a blanket statement. There are exceptions to, to every rule. But right. but there's some, some places in the U.S. that have really just been pushing the envelope uh, for 20, 25 years now right. in ways that that we've tended to be a little bit more tepid. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So, so let's go to, to the second pillar uh, that you focus on uh, mobility. Um, so what's the mobility space look like from, uh, from you and your company's perspective and how's it evolving? Yeah. I mean, uh, look, mobility, we, we began our, our mobility practice, um, let's say about eight years now, eight years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, so look, I, the, the vast majority of it is focused on electrification of transportation. Right. Um, obviously there's, you know, there's other work that we do on hydrogen, uh, for, you know, for heavy duty, um, uh, you know, we'll work on transportation demand management strategies as well. We work on micromobility, but the vast majority, I'll say 80% or more is on electric vehicles yeah. uh, and electric vehicles across the across the board from, from light duty all the way up to, you know, to medium and heavy duty and specialized. Uh, mm-hmm. So we do, uh, we do a variety of things there again, very similar to building space. So, you know, we work with, with some clients, helping them understand what's coming, uh, mm-hmm. how it's going to impact them. And when I say how it's going to impact them, I mean, down, you know, it's easy to say, you know, it's easy to project, let's say EV adoption across, across a province. That's one thing. Uh, you know, we'll go in and, and and figure out, all right, what's likely EV adoption uh, down to, sometimes down to the feeder level, uh, mm-hmm. because adoption is going to be different, right, based on sociodemographics, um, and and that really matters, obviously, for investment in the Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we work with, with a number of um, utility clients across Canada uh, and, in, and in the U.S., 
to really help them a you know see what's coming around the corner see clearly uh mm -hmm. see how it's going to impact uh you know asset uh, asset renewal needs and but at the same time see and again this is you know harkens back to the to the energy efficiency side uh see what we can do to push that back so mm -hmm. you know demand management again I and mean, we talk about vehicles vehicles are are these amazing things that are basically batteries on wheels yep. that are used five percent of the time so yep. you have an extraordinary amount of flexibility if you use it if you yep. don't you know if you don't it's a massive problem if you do it's an enormous solution so we work with uh we work with utilities to help them figure out how to use it well mm -hmm. how to exploit the the opportunities uh we do a lot of business case analysis uh a lot of our clients are in a very unique position where they actually have the business case to invest in public charging infrastructure mm -hmm. in a way that no one else does because you know the the the, the uh, public infrastructure is is essentially an insurance policy for for yeah. uh, vehicle owners and and utilities actually pick up the revenue on the back end at the home charging and the workplace charging mm -hmm. um, so there's a very unique business model there and we work with a lot of our clients to, to help understand that business model figure out uh, how it can work for them uh, and then we work a lot with governments, uh, helping them understand how can we move the needle on EV adoption and, uh, you know, whether it's through programs or, or regulation or legislation. How far are we from, uh, from really taking full advantage of, of that potential for vehicle to grid, vehicle to home? Uh, we've been talking about it for a number of years now, but it always seems to be just beyond the horizon. It's not, it's not as, you know, as far away as, as cold fusion, but, but it's still, you know, sort of the next yeah. thing that we're going to see in mobility. Um, and there's all that we always talk about that, that potential that can be unlocked, but we're, we, we don't seem to be quite there yet. How, how far yeah. away is that future? Well, let me, um, let me take a half step back, right? Because before we get to the, to the, the full Monty, he's a bad yeah. expression. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's a, there's a half step that's extraordinarily helpful, right? Because these are flexible loads. So yeah. before we even talk about sending the electrons back onto the grid or, in, or into homes, let's just talk about this this load that's used five percent of the time, mm -hmm. and and it can be recharged pretty much any time throughout the other ninety five percent. So you know, I'll give you an example. I mean, when we do our, our our projections, for example, we find all right if you do nothing, homeowners come home. They come home at around six o'clock. You know, they plug in, and yeah. you've just exacerbated peak. Um, very easy to put in a charging um, smart chargers mm -hmm. and say, all right, you know what? You start the charging at midnight. It'll be right. fully fully ready yeah. by 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever it is that you need. Um, so we just completed uh, Quebec's um, uh, charging plan. So electric mm -hmm. vehicle charging infrastructure plan. Mm -hmm. And one of the things in that plan is that going forward, all incentives will be very conditional to the use of smart chargers, which I think is essentially gonna completely transform the market and make sure mm -hmm. that going forward, every home charger is gonna be a smart charger mm -hmm. uh, and every charging uh, infrastructure in multifamily buildings is going to be a smart charger that enables shared charging as well. Right. So yeah. you're really minimizing peak and you're, you know, you're using the, the load flexibility here. So I think that's a really easy step that can be done now. Mm -hmm. the the 
I'll say V to X, right? The, the getting the electrons to go back, whether it's to the to the home, to the building, or to the to the grid. Um, I don't think it's that far out. Uh, look, California has announced now that um, it's become a, a requirement. Uh, we just did a study for the ISO in Ontario, mm -hmm. where we looked at the not just the achievable, but also the economic uh, uh, potential for basically peak load reductions of all forms. We looked at mm -hmm. you know 80 different DERs. Um, and we found looking at the V to G in particular, or V to X, I should say more generally, uh, there's about a, over a thousand megawatts of peak reduction potential in Ontario by 2032. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what we deemed achievable. This is not the the pie in the sky, you know, theoretical. Yeah. This yeah. is look, given where technology is going, given the cost structure, given the the value of the peak reductions um, that you can get from from that V to X, uh, you have over a thousand megawatt power plant sitting there and in a distributed way that's not only offsetting the power plants, but but all the all the needed investments in um, in transmission grid as well. So I think there's a lot of value. It's not going to be easy. Nothing is, but uh, but yeah. you know, that's the good stuff. The worth the stuff worth pursuing. Yeah, no, and I I, uh, I mentioned this on a, on a previous podcast. I'm a I'm a new uh, a, a recent um, a convert. I finally took delivery of my my EV and realized pretty early on that I was I was just rolling around on a you know an 82 kilowatt battery. Um, exactly. that, that, that is, and, and mine is being used even less than 5% of the time. So, mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, the, 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 the realization that there is a huge potential here, uh, that then will be multiplied by the, you know, thousands and then, you know, one of these days, millions of, of, of EVs that are rolling around. Um, yep. I, I hope it isn't too far down the road because I agree with you. I think there's huge potential, uh, that, that, that can be unlocked in that space. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the work that you've done in, in your in, in your industry pillar. Um, what does what does that pillar look like? So we work with um, with really at a couple of levels. We work with some large um, large energy users, so large industrials uh, mm -hmm. who are trying to decarbonize. And you know, there's so let me let me just start by saying what we're not. Right, we're not we're not a a team of industrial engineers that are going to go into a plant and and say exactly what needs to be done in a single plant. Uh, but right. we what we will do with our industrial customers is is help them look at fleets of plants. Right, I'll give you an example. We work with with um, with one customer. They have uh, about eighty plants around the world, and you know those are there are differences there, but you can actually uh, see a lot of the similarities. And we can look at a portfolio of plants and essentially, you know, dry out a map to decarbonizing and not 100%, but largely uh, achieving decarbonization goals uh, mm -hmm. in the most cost-effective way possible. And so we're going to look at, you know, the major end uses and the major um, the major opportunities uh, within those within those plants. And of course, they're all different. So we do that for some of our large um, large industrial customers, and then we do the same thing for utilities. Where utilities increasingly, as you, you know this more than anyone, um, our utility customers are are understanding now that this is no longer the world of, you know, just sit back and provide the electrons mm -hmm. and yep. end of story. I mean, you know, we need to be close to our customers. We need to be working with them, and our industrial customers in particular have enormous challenges, which are largely around how they can decarbonize their systems. Mm -hmm. So we work with our utility clients 
to help them handhold and help their their industrial clients to decarbonize. Uh, mm -hmm. We're doing we're doing work right now where with one utility client where uh, we've essentially been asked to develop roadmaps for uh, I think we're about fifteen or twenty uh, specific industrial segments, mm -hmm. right? So you know you take let's say it's pulp and paper or you know or you know light manufacturing whatever it is and and we'll develop a very specific you know very equipment by equipment roadmap to how they can electrify at the lowest cost um, and what the role of the utility is in that and then mm -hmm. utilities will take that uh, provide it to their key account managers um, and and they'll be able to sit down with their industrial clients and say all right how can we help you in your own decarbonization uh, journey. So that, that's the sort of work that we do on the industrial side. Cool. Okay. And then, and then energy, that, that final pillar. I, I, yeah. Uh, that final, yeah. that final little, little. Yeah. Pillar. Yeah. yeah that's just tiny, um, tiny, tiny, energy tiny is, barrier of activity. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an odd name for, uh, for one of the, one of the four big things that we do. Um, so I'd like to say energy systems is, is what we do there. And um, right. And you know, so that's that's the electricity system itself. Um, it's you know, it's gas systems as well. Uh, but really, that's that's where our focus is. So we work with a number of clients to do uh, to do planning, to do energy planning, electricity planning in particular. Uh, our lead person on that uh, used to be the head of power planning for the um, Pacific Northwest for for the four states of the Pacific Northwest, where. You know, his job was, I mean, he was reporting directly. He had essentially four four clients, uh, the the governors of four states, two blue states, two red states. And, you know, his job was to was to provide them with very clear maps to how they can um, decarbonize their their power grids uh, while at the same time growing them substantially. And that's you know, fundamentally the challenge that we all have now. So we do a lot of work with our, again, with our utility clients for the most part. Um, looking very carefully at what's going to work, uh, what are the challenges? You know, let's be very realistic about this. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not the, it's not the simple, you know, wind and solar will solve it all. Um, and yeah. nor is it, this is crazy. This is impossible. Let's just, you know, let's just drop it. Uh, so we try to go pretty deep and in a pretty sophisticated way into, into how we can actually get this done, but in the lowest cost way possible. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that the, you know, maybe one of the, the values that we bring here is that we started out on the demand side of the equation. So right. when we're doing this kind of work on the power planning side, you know, we're, we're not, we're not adding the demand side as an afterthought. We're bringing it in, in lockstep mm -hmm. with, with the supply side of the equation. So that's, that's the approach that we tend to take. Hey, listen, we, we, uh, we, we absolutely can't, uh, uh, forget to talk about that the uh, electricity advisory council uh, that you were tapped to uh, to to head up and uh, you've got a, a a group of uh, uh, specialists from right across the country can you uh, kind of give the listener a bit of a sketch of of what's um, you know what's the focus of that council uh, I know you're partway through um, you know the sort of the front end of of the mandate of the council, but um, yeah, why don't you give the listeners a sense of, of how this has come together? And then let's talk a little bit about where you're going with it. 
Yeah, for sure. Pleasure. Uh, so, so let me just say quickly, council was formed in, in May of, uh, of 2023. So just barely what, five, five and a half months ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's formed of, uh, 19 people from across the country, uh, every, every province and the territories. Uh, we have some absolutely brilliant people with, with extraordinarily strong pedigrees in, uh, in electricity systems and, and related areas. So, uh, more than half of our members are either current or former utility executives, uh, and then and then those that aren't are either former regulators or um, uh, indigenous uh, representatives uh, and others. So we have an amazing group of people. Uh, we have a hell of a hell of a challenge. You know, that at a very fundamental level, uh, the question that we've been asked is, what do we need to do? to the way I like to view this is what do we need to do to make the path to a you know largely decarbonized country easier like mm -hmm. a lot easier because we all know I mean look we, you know the the issue of the day today is is the CER and and we know how extraordinarily challenging uh achieving a largely decarbonized grid by 2035 uh will be uh, we also know that we're going to need a hell of a lot more electricity if we're actually going to decarbonize the rest of the economy by by 2050. So we have a lot of challenges there, and what we're trying to trying to grapple with is is what do we need to do to either support industry to be able to to make that happen, uh, or to in some cases get out of the way of industry mm -hmm. to allow this stuff to to happen and to happen expeditiously. Uh, so, and I, I should have said we have a we have a one year mandate. So, we have not been given a, you know five years to pontificate about this. Uh, this is get straight at it, sit down, try to try to you know try to hit the big pieces that uh, where we think that we can actually make a difference and mm -hmm. report back within twelve months uh, on on what government can do. So you're about uh, you're almost at the halfway point uh, in that in that one year. Uh, how how's it uh, how's it coming together? Well, it's um, look, it's I won't uh, I won't kid you. It's it's very challenging. Um, yeah. The uh, the great thing is again the the group of people that we have, uh, the extraordinary experience that we have around the table. So what we've done is we've formed five working groups to you know to really. Um, Break this out into into bite sized chunks. Even then, they're really big chunks. Each of them, mm -hmm. but but, um, but I feel like that's that's how we're actually going to get you know get real on it. Uh, so we have we have five working groups that are working hard uh, at solving the key questions that that I put to them. The first, I'll just want to walk you through them. Uh, sure. The first is around is around planning and governance. So, you know, what do we need to do to make sure that we're actually able to properly plan, uh, properly plan for these worlds and you know, this decarbonized, large, I'll say largely decarbonized grid, right? Uh, as well as the doubling or or more of its size. Um, mm -hmm. How do we how do we plan for it right? How do we how do we get the regulatory systems to enable us to be able to to make the investments that are needed? In the in the right way, in a smart way, in an expeditious way, in ways that are not currently happening now, because you know we we hail from an old 
regulatory mm. system was really about steady state and, and we're no longer in steady state world now. So there are changes there that we need to grapple with. And we have uh, we have a great working group uh, that is working on that. We have uh, we have a second working group that's focused on the project side. You know, if, if this is going to if we're going to make this happen, I mean, we got a lot of got put a lot of capital in the ground and we need to make that happen fast. Right now, again, we have a lot of you know protections in place and duplicative protections in place uh, that made a lot of sense in a world where we had a lot of time. We don't have the time that we once did to uh, to build out our infrastructure. So we need to see what can we do to move to to allow things to move more quickly. And at the same time, you know, this is an extraordinary opportunity for indigenous economic development. And so what do we need to do to make sure that our indigenous communities are, are really fully participating in this, in this opportunity in, from an infrastructure build outside? So we have a second working group focused on that. We have a third focused on the money side of the equation. And no, uh, um, no holds barred. This is gonna, it's gonna be a costly venture. Um, there's also a lot of savings to be had on the, on the flip side, when we talk about electrifying vehicles, for example, you know, uh, there's tremendous savings to be had in terms of uh, consumer savings around, uh, you know, reducing uh, oil consumption, uh, protecting against the wild price fluctuations of oil as well. So look, there are costs and benefits, and, and we have a third working group that's focused on really two sub-questions. One is how do we make sure that we're attracting enough capital to to be able to get all of the infrastructure in the ground that we're going to need to get in. And at the same time, how do we make sure that this is affordable for Canadians? Because mm -hmm. we're not going to, we're not going to do any of this if, uh, if it breaks the bank. Um, our fourth one is around, around regional cooperation. So how do we get our provinces, which, you know, have historically been uh, very much silos. How do we get them working together more proactively, not just one-offs, but maybe, Thinking, thinking forward together a lot more, talking a lot more, planning a lot more. Um, you think of, you know, transmission lines, uh, interconnections, all of that. And then, uh, and then there's a fifth one focused on on innovation and reliability. You know, we need to keep the pace of innovation going. We need to focus on demand, not just not just supply. Uh, mm -hmm. If we're to make this whole thing work and work in a way that's actually reliable and affordable for consumers, so that's. That's the uh, the kind of work plan, if you will, um, and and those working groups are progressing. And council uh, has come together uh, three times now in in full meetings. Mm -hmm. um, in between those meetings, working groups are are working hard. Uh, we have a fourth meeting coming in Calgary at the end of this month of October, uh, and we have several more planned after that. I'm very wow. hopeful that we're going to be able to come with the you know with some solid recommendations. I, I don't think that. I don't think we're going to, uh, you know, revolutionize things, but but um, hopefully we come with some solid recommendations that can pave the way and, and just make it a lot easier for industry to to make this change. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is happening uh, um, against the backdrop of lots of other things taking place uh, in this space that have to do with the the, the transition to a, a cleaner energy system. One of them being the, the clean electricity regulations. Um, uh, you know, for the, for the listener, this is uh, mid uh, mid October that we're uh, recording this podcast, and so we're in the middle of the comment period on 
the Clean Electricity Regulations of Canada Gazette one. Is there any role that the council is playing in this or uh, is that just um, a, a very noisy bit background uh, to, uh, to what you're doing at the council? Yeah, it's funny. I was having a conversation this morning with one of the council members, and we, we were saying, you know, it feels like we're like we're marching forward, and uh, and there are a few bombs uh, going off yeah. around us. Yeah, uh, yeah. CER in, in particular it doesn't mean it's uh, uh, it's a bad thing, but it's uh, definitely a challenging thing. So, but to your question, so the the form of the CER is not part of our mandate, uh, and and I've been you know very clear, and you know, council as a whole has been very clear about that. It's not. Our mandate is not to advise on the CER. CER has its own process. The comment mm -hmm. period is, runs for another uh, what three weeks uh, mm -hmm. from now, so you know into the very beginning of November, yeah. uh, and and that's the process for the CER. And you know that we have a lot of members of council who are parts of utility organizations that are uh, obviously very very participating very uh, very much in that. Um, that said, you know we can't. Um, we're not going to, uh, you know, put on blinders and pretend that that doesn't exist. So, we've certainly taken advantage of the extraordinary minds and experience that we have around council. We've had a lot of, I'll say, side conversations, even though it's not formally part of our mandate. I don't expect that we are going to be coming out with with particular recommendations on on the CER, but um, but we we have had some really good and I'd say constructive. Uh, conversations about it and about, um, you know, really the, the the flexibility that I think is needed to make this happen and and to make it um, to make it doable in a way that again is is not going to break the bank, uh, is not going to break the grid, and is going to help us achieve our broader decarbonization goals, which which are not just about the sixteen percent of electricity that that uh, that is not already decarbonized uh, mm -hmm. but about the broader economy you know talking about vehicles talking about uh, heating talking about industry so how optimistic do you feel about uh, our 2035 target for a, a non-emitting uh, electricity grid i mean that's that's what the 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 CERs are are designed to deliver upon it's the you know it's the it's the stick and uh, in the federal budget we had the carrot uh, several carrots uh, in the in the federal budget earlier this spring, but uh, how confident are you that we're going to um, achieve uh, our aspirations um, for a, a net zero grid? Well, let me let me start by saying um, that there's there's a little bit of a of a disconnect out there uh, in that you know we've been talking about a net zero grid by 2035. The CER does not require a net zero grid by 2035. It's aiming for something close to net zero, right? Getting us from eighty or eighty-four percent now to, I don't know, you know, let's let's call Whatever it the number of percent or something like that. Um, and I think that's it's a really important thing to to clarify. Uh, you know, as much as we all talk about net zero twenty thirty-five, it's not exactly that, right? So, but how hopeful am I that we're going to get to something close to, mm -hmm. like reasonably close to? I think absolutely. Um, you know, is it going to be exactly what the current version, you know, the Gazette one uh, is is looking for? Probably not. Um, you know, I, I think that I think that um, flexibility matters a lot. I think that, you know, one of the things that uh, 
that I find important here is, you know, if you take a really high level view of this, you know, if, if I were an international organization, I'm looking at all you know, countries around the world and I look at Canada and I say, you know, Canada is ahead in the race. Canada is an extraordinary position. We're, we're you know, 84% emissions free already. We're probably, I think we're, we're the, you know, if this were a race, you know, you look at the G20, we're in, we're in third place uh, out, of, out of 20 largest economies mm-hmm. in the world. Um, this should be easy. That's that's great, but then let's you know let's hone in on individual provinces. And yeah. if you're in Saskatchewan, if you're in Alberta, if you're in Nova Scotia, uh, these are much greater challenges. Yeah. So you know there are places in this country that need flexibility in how to get there, and and what the there is itself mm-hmm. might be flexible too. Again, it's it's not it's not a zero by 2035. It's, you know, getting to something reasonably close and um, and doing it in a way that, that doesn't break the system and doesn't break the bank because, because electricity is so critical to decarbonizing the rest of the economy. Yeah. And so if we can get to 90 or 95% um, uh, on electricity without rates skyrocketing, then we're in a fantastic place to have electricity replace oil in transportation or replace you know oil and gas in in heating to a large degree not entirely but to a large degree so yeah it's a very long-winded way of saying i i i like thinking of optimizing rather than maximizing mm-hmm. uh, i'm very hopeful that we're going to optimize Right. I don't think that we're going to maximize. I'm very hopeful that we can optimize by 2035 or around then. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, like, one more question before we get to a, your book recommendation, uh, <laughs> and, and that and that is in the news uh, this morning uh, was um, you know the the uh, the news that the government of Nova Scotia is backing away from the Atlantic Loop. Uh, any observations uh, from you on that? Just uh, you know, given that you've been in this space for for decades, and this has been you know something that's been talked about now for for uh, several years, uh, and it seems as though the Atlantic Loop may be um, not moving forward. Yeah, you know, it's not going to be a straight road. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, um, and. Look, Atlantic Loop um, is not the only solution. I mean, you know, the great news that came out of Nova Scotia this morning, from my perspective, was was not so much that the Atlantic Loop is is not it, but that there is an alternative plan together. Right. Yeah. And and that alternative plan, you know, it's it's going to be challenging. It's going to be tough. Uh, I don't think it's going to break the bank, mm-hmm. and it's not going to put reliability uh, in question. So. So the really good news is there that Nova Scotia has found a has found a solution. It's found the optimal solution for Nova Scotia, and mm-hmm. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the I want to say the world changed. Certainly, you know, the the Canadian electricity system and and needs have changed an awful lot since the Atlantic Loop conversation began. Yeah. Uh, you know, Quebec's needs for its own power have changed dramatically. I'm not at all surprised uh, by this, you know, by this outcome. And again, that's okay. So, 
you know, Nova Scotia has its has its solution. Um, I also don't think that the while the Atlantic Loop concept may be uh, may be dead. Uh, additional interties, additional exchanges between provinces that that actually do help optimize the system. I don't think those are dead by any stretch of the imagination. I think that we'll be seeing some smart investments uh, on that end. And um, look, uh, you know, we're going to get there. It's going to be it's going to be a patchwork. It's going to be you know, call it a beautiful quilt. Uh, it's not going to be one size fits all solution. It's not going to be imposed by Ottawa. Uh, but I'm hopeful we're going to get there. All right, a beautiful quilt. On that, let's uh, let's let's shift to your book recommendation. So we 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 always ask uh, folks who come on the, the podcast for a, a recommendation to add to our flux capacitor book club. So for you, what uh, what book are you going to put on our uh, on our reading list? So so I have to admit, I'm not a big book reader. I, I actually I spend piles of time listening to podcasts uh, more than books. But I did read one this summer that I I really enjoyed, and that was how big things get done. Uh, and that's by Blent Flyberg and Dan Gardner. Uh, how big things get done is really, you know, step outside the box of electricity systems. Uh, but just, you know, there's so much experience around the world, um, very pragmatic experience about how we how we do big projects, how we do big uh, big change, and and the experience provides us a lot of guidance on how to get it wrong and similarly on how to get it right. And that this, this book I think is a fantastic resource for people who want to uh, learn the lessons of the past and not repeat them, uh, or at least not repeat the bad ones and, um, and take on this, uh, this enormous challenge that we have in front of us of, of doing really big things in the next uh, couple of decades. All right. So it's it's how big things get done. The surprising factors that determine the fate of every project from home renovations to space exploration and everything in between by Brent uh, Flyberg and Dan Gardner. What a terrific right. addition. What a terrific addition to the list. Philip, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join the podcast. It was a great conversation. Well, thank you so much, Francis. I uh, love the work that you're doing and and uh, really appreciate you having on having me on here. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future episodes. Please take the time to rate the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen and let me know what you think of The Flux Capacitor. You can find me on Twitter or X as at Brad Bradley. The website for this pod is thefluxcapacitor.ca, and it includes links for this episode on the show page, this being episode 84. And while you're there, check out the book club page, which provides info on and links to the books, which have been recommended by guests on the Flux Capacitor, including Philippe's recommendation, How Big Things Get Done, by Brent Flyberg and Dan Gardner. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.